0: Good morning once again. <clears throat> this Advent season, our series is called The Road to Christmas, and what we talked about last week is the fact that often in, in our culture, we have this idea that the Christmas season is something that happens to us on a regular basis, and that just experiencing the Christmas season is supposed to transform us, that we... Uh, we go through this special time. In fact, we just, we just watched a Disney Christmas thing about how, you know, Christmas is, the, the Huey, Dewey, and Louie, they do this groundhog thing where they ask for Christmas to be every day, and then they get tired of it, and they realize that it's important for Christmas to be one day, so it's different, and it changes us for the rest of the year. There's this idea that the experience of opening presents and singing songs and eating food and, and talking about, Love and peace and joy and hope will somehow transform us. Unfortunately, that has yet to be the case, and it's probably not because we haven't done Christmas uh, enough years or celebrated it hard enough or put up enough lights or made enough special movies. It's because what we're, what we're talking about is that Christmas in Scripture is something that you have to choose to be a part of, it's an invitation to what God is doing. And that the only people who were transformed by the first Christmas were the people who chose to be there, who were called and, and responded to be there. So last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah as an example of this and how God invited Zechariah into the story and Zechariah hesitated because he, was, he wasn't ready, he wasn't willing to actually take a step in his life that would have real consequences if God didn't keep his word. And God was gracious to him, and God worked with him in a way that kept him part of the story, uh, even though he wasn't willing to trust. And then through what happened with Zechariah, John the Baptist was born in this miraculous way that let everybody know that something big was going to happen through John the Baptist as a setup for something bigger that was going to happen through someone else. Today we're going to move into the story of Mary, and I think this is, this will be a I'm excited to look at this because Mary is a controversial person in the history of the church. There are large portions of the church that make Mary into something that she is not. And in response, other portions of the church have neglected her to the point of ignoring who she really is and the significance that she really has. So today I'm excited to get a chance to appreciate Mary for who she really is and the very um, important uh, figure that she is and the great example that she sets without pretending that she is more than she could be. So we're going to start by reading Mary's story in Luke chapter one, and then we're going to to unpack we're going to unpack that story and look at what it says about her. Luke one twenty six says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, the descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. All right, so that's the story of the Annunciation, of the angel announcing to Mary that she is going to have a baby, um, and uh, setting this whole story in motion. And I want us to pay attention to who Mary actually is according to this story. It's easy for us to bring baggage into Bible stories from other places, things that aren't actually in the text. So today we're just going to start with what does the Bible actually say about Mary? It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So, she lives in, she's a girl who's of marrying age, which means she's about 13 in that culture. And she lives in Nazareth, which is a pretty poor town. Later on in the story, when you look at the sacrifice that they offer, they, they offer the sacrifice of people who are poor. And so she is, she's not a very wealthy person. She's not a very prominent person. In fact, she, isn't even, she doesn't even have any promising uh, genealogy. Notice that Jesus' descent from David is through Joseph, not through Mary. In both Gospels that give us genealogies, they both go through Joseph. So, Elizabeth, before she got engaged, there was nothing about her to set her off as very remarkable. So, Mary was a poor, anonymous teenaged girl. There's nothing to mark her out as having high expectations. And yet this poor, anonymous girl has this amazing encounter where an angel appears to her and says, "Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you." It' says, "you who are highly favored." Now there's, there's two ways to interpret the Greek word "you who are for behind, you who are highly favored." And the, the much less likely one is to say, "You who deserve favor." you who are especially good and deserving of favor. The more, much more likely interpretation is you who have been shown lots of favor, who have been shown significant favor from God. And so what he is announcing is, hey, God is doing something amazing with you. So what's happening in this next scene when the angel shows up is the angel, gave, God sent Gabriel to announce that she had a privileged calling in his plan. This is what is significant about Mary. What is significant about Mary, so far in the story, what we've seen, she's just a normal girl. And what's unique about her is the fact that God calls her to a very special calling. Okay? And this is basically what I want, one, the main things I want us to get out of today is this is a study in what it means to get favor from God. My wife has this well, I've, I've picked it up from her, and she picked it up from a friend of hers. When you get like a really good parking spot, we'll say, favor, like God is doing you a favor, like He's showing you favor by giving you a really convenient parking spot. And now, of course, that's, that's just kind of silly. It's not deeply theological or anything. But I, I want us to talk about what it means to be greatly favored, to be shown great favor from God, because that's what the angel says is happening to Mary. And what, it's, what, what it is the immediate thing that's happening is she has been given a privileged calling, okay? Now, I want us to look at what that calling actually looks like because this should set our expectations for what it means to be favored by God. Because you would think the most favored woman... uh, Okay, one of the reasons why I I felt confident in proposing to my wife is because when she said that she was open to being a pastor's wife, she was the first person I had met where I felt she actually knew what that meant, as opposed to thinking that it just made her the most popular woman in church. Like sometimes, you know, that's not what it means. And sometimes I want to be the pastor, I want to be the pastor's wife because then I'll be, you know, popular in church. That's not what it means. It means a difficult calling. And the same thing here when we talk about Mary being favored, I want us to understand what it means to be favored by God. Because for Mary, it was not that she was going to be the most popular woman in Israel. It was not that she was going to get all the things she wanted. It was not that everything was going to be really easy. Because that's often when we think about God blessing us, we think that it means God giving us the things we want. But in reality, if the things we want are not the things we should have, that's not really a blessing. right? And so what happens when God, because later he's also going to call her blessed. Elizabeth is going to call her blessed. This blessing shows us what it really means to be blessed, as opposed to just being given the things that we want. So let's let's break down what Mary's calling, this privileged calling, actually looks like. Okay, First of all, she gave birth to the Messiah out of wedlock. So Mary is taking on this really, really hard thing, for which we give her tons of credit now. But when it happened, it was actually quite the opposite. In obeying God, she was destroying her reputation. In obeying God, she was taking on something that would look to everybody else like she had broken the law of Moses, all the social norms. Like, like it would have been a very, a, a very black mark on her record. So this, the idea of being the mother of the Messiah, right out of the gate, it's hard. And this is, the, of the list of things that I'm going to give you, this is the first, the only one that she explicitly knows is coming. This is what the angel says is going to happen. But there's more things that happen in this story. Um, she gets to, you know, there's, there's great travel in, involved in being blessed by God. She gets to travel to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant. Uh, Casey was pregnant when we moved here, and our doctor said we should move before the last trimester or... Three months after the birth. And that was for a six hour car ride. Now, this is a, this is, um, a, a foot traveling. This, they walked, probably didn't ride a donkey. Maybe wrote, there's no donkey in the Bible. So she may have walked the whole way. I'm not sure riding a donkey would have been any better. So that's, that's favor, right? Um, and then she has the baby, and you know where she has the baby. She doesn't have the baby in a stable. And in fact, I think she might have preferred a stable. The word, because we think it was, uh, there was no room in the inn. It doesn't say inn. It says there was no room in the living space. And that living space normally, it, so what they would have is they would have a house that was, because, uh, sorry, let me start over. They would have stayed with relatives. That would have been their first stop, would have been with relatives, because this is where his family's from, right? And their relatives would have had a home, that was a loft, it was one single space, or studio, not loft, it was a studio, one single space, and part of it was for living, and part of it was for animals. Okay? So, what happened was, she had the baby in that house, in this single, she had the baby in someone else's living room. I might have preferred the, uh, the stable. Especially since this, fa- this is her family, the only thing they know about her is she got pregnant before she got married. She's probably not popular with this side of the family. And, and the reason why they use the manger is because they, they had no bassinet. So The closest thing they had to a bassinet in the house was the manger. Okay? So this is an awkward, undignified moment of giving birth to the child then she gets the, uh, the unique challenge of having to parent the Son of God. I know it's difficult to parent a child who thinks they're perfect, who thinks they know better than you. You can imagine how hard it is when they actually are perfect and they do know better than you. For instance, the only story we know about Jesus as a child had to do with when he, he stayed behind in the temple when everybody else left, and he didn't tell them where he was she comes back and calls him on the carpet for it and he says "Uh, why were you searching for me don't you know I had to be in my father's house what do you say to that this kid he's like 8 and he already knows better that is a unique challenge there's no no manual for normal parenting there's definitely no manual for Messiah parenting now a little bit more now that's partly a joke but that's also partly serious that would have been a major challenge but the next one is, is very serious. When they take Jesus to be circumcised, when he's eight days old, they go to the temple, and there, is a, there are two prophets there, Simeon and Anna. And Simeon picks up the baby, and he prophesies over the baby to Mary. He blessed them and said to Mary, "'This child is destined to cause the failing and, falling and rising of many in Israel "'and to be a sign that will be spoken against "'so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed.'" and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary is going to watch her son suffer torture and death. Everybody else watched their rabbi or their leader or their savior. She watched that person and her son go through all of this. And then when he came back to life, she didn't really get him back. You know, he was here for 40 days and then he ascended it was, it was a hard thing for her to take on. And when you look at this, you kind of have to ask, where's the favor? Where's the blessing? It seems like it was given a chore. Right? Like sometimes, uh, John talked about gifts that aren't really gifts. There are also sometimes favors that aren't really favors, where you're actually just, someone's asking you to do something for them. And that's kind of what this looks like. Except that there is tremendous favor In this story, in what Mary gets to do and what Mary gets to be, and there's a connection with this in the moment when she meets Elizabeth. So she goes into Elizabeth's house and announces that she's there, and Elizabeth, she gets a big reaction out of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now this is is a hyperlink. If this was in a, on a website, it would be blue and underlined, and you'd click on it, and it would take you to a specific place in the Old Testament where a woman called another woman blessed among women. And it's a little known story the story of a woman named Jael. And the woman who's speaking to her is Deborah. Now, Deborah was a, was a uh, judge, she was a spiritual military leader in Israel. And she led Israel in this fight against their enemies, and the general in charge of their enemies had run away from the battle, and he had went and hid in this tent. And the tent was, at the tent was a woman named Jael. And when he, Jael welcomed him in and, and let him fall asleep, and then she brought a tent peg and nailed his head to the floor and killed him. And so Deborah composes this song about Jael. She says, Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. This is the story that Elizabeth is connecting with when she calls Mary blessed. In what way is Jael blessed? Jael's blessed because she played this important role in defeating the enemies of God. Right? She, she was used, uh, as, and the fact that it was a woman who they would not have expected to, to defeat the general, it showed that God was involved. And so Jael gets to be this instrument of God's deliverance. And it's interesting, the imagery that's being used here of crushing the head, because can you think of another time when the Bible talks about crushing someone's head? In Genesis 3, when God is responding to the snake after the fall and he, ta- and he curses the snake, which is this, this embodiment of evil and chaos. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Notice in that story, in, in the story of Adam and Eve, it is Eve who makes the first mistake. And interestingly, we give her a lot of grief for that. And in history, we've given women a lot of grief for that. We haven't given them credit for the bookend to that story. Because where Eve failed, God promised that the woman and her child would prevail by crushing the head. And so there's this kind of three-point connection that's being made here about how what, what Mary is doing is working to defeat the enemy of Israel and of all humanity. She's striking a blow the first blow in the defeat of evil, depending on how you're keeping score, about first. But in this, this part of Jesus' journey, she gets to strike the first blow by giving birth to this child. And it's not this, this calm, domestic thing like the box that we normally put women in. This is a very active thing that she is doing. This is a very um, powerful thing that she is doing. This is not just something that happens to Mary. Now why, so now we're going to pivot for a second, we're going to talk about why did God choose Mary? Why is she getting to strike the first blow? And if you were raised uh, Catholic or with a high view of Mary, this is going to challenge you a little bit. Okay? But first, uh, the first thing that we don't see in Scripture is we don't see anything about Mary being perfect. Mary was not a perfect person. In fact, technically, Leading up to this moment, the text doesn't tell us that she was even a particularly good person. Now, eventually there will be reason to think that. But it does, So, last week when it, we were introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, it said both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Right? So, he, he gives high, high marks to them for their righteousness. What does he say about Mary? He says she was engaged to a son of David and she was a virgin. Now, some people think that, they'll say, oh, the the fact that she's a virgin is supposed to tell us that she was was pure. That's not the point of pointing that out. I mean, she's 13. It's supposed to point out to us that this birth is miraculous. She was not a perfect person, and that was not a a qualification for her, that she was somehow morally perfect, morally qualified. That's not a point that Luke is trying to make. Also, there's no reason for us to think that she was the perfect person parent that she was somehow like perfectly qualified to raise the son of god i am incredibly grateful that my wife is the one who's going to raise my children and that was part of what made me certain that i wanted to marry her was i i would love for my children to be raised by her that's not god is not saying this is the right woman to raise my child like this is the perfect woman to again she's 13 does any, did anybody get it right on the first child? Anybody feel like you just nailed it? Like, here's the secret. Those, like, <laughs> there's one. Here's the secret. We're all, we're all figuring it out along the way. And <laughs> every one of us has learned from the first one, right? Doesn't, I mean, I'm not getting it perfect on the third one either. But none of us are perfect parents out the gate. We don't have those perfect qualities. You don't know until you do it, right? And so it's not like Mary was some perfect parent either. So why did God choose Mary? What was it about Mary... That set her apart. Well, the thing that sets Mary apart is the thing that it sets her apart from Eve, and it also sets her apart from Zechariah. When God made an offer to Zechariah, Zechariah said, Yeah, can you prove it? Mary, at first, she asked, Well, how is this going to happen? And second of all, and then her, once she knew, understood what he was actually saying was going to happen, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's what Mary did. Mary had no idea what this was going to look like, except the fact that she was going to have a baby out of wedlock. She had no idea what this journey was going to look like. I imagine she could tell from from the fact that she was going to have this baby out of wedlock that it wasn't going to be like what she thought being the mother of the Messiah would look like. But this 13-year-old girl, for whatever reason, was willing to take this huge risk and to trust that God had everything in hand, that everything was going to unfold according to his plan. Without hesitation, she had faith to follow him. And this is what Elizabeth commends her for. The last verse of the story we read, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is what God needed from Mary. We don't know if there were other reasons why he chose Mary, but the one reason we see in the story is he chose Mary because Mary would say yes. Mary had the faith to say yes. The faith that so many more significant people in the story of the Bible did not have. We call Abraham the father of faith. It took him his entire very long life to figure that out. Mary was willing to obey God's plan on faith. That's what set her apart. Her road to Christmas is being told that she was going to have to walk this path and have no idea the twists and turns, no idea what all it would involve, and trusting God and saying yes. And she did that because She understood what it meant to be blessed. She understood what it meant to be favored. Being blessed or favored by God does not mean you're going to get life easy. It doesn't mean you're going to get all the things you want. It doesn't mean Santa's going to give you everything on your Christmas list. God's not Santa. Being favored by God means you are going to have a role to play in his mission. It means you're going to be able to fulfill your purpose, what you were made for. And purpose always involves challenge. Anybody heard a really interesting story about a person for whom nothing ever went wrong? Anybody been really motivated by a story that had no conflict, no obstacles, no nothing? No, because we, we, deep down, we care about purpose. We care about doing something that matters. And that's what it means to be favored by God. It means to have a role in his plan rather than to just be able to sit in the sidelines and get all the things we want. So as we look at the road to Christmas and we look at how we, how we can learn from the story of Mary, we want you to recognize that we share the same calling as Mary to bring Jesus Christ into the world. Do we talk a lot about inviting Jesus into us? Which, technically, Mary was the first person to have Jesus come and live inside her, right? But like Mary, that is not the point. That is not the end of it. If all Mary had ever done was be pregnant with Jesus and never give birth to him, the story wouldn't have gone the way it was supposed to. We have the same calling, which is to to bring Jesus inside, to allow him to transform us. But then he's also supposed to come out of us. We're supposed to live out his mission. We're supposed to be his hands and feet. And so we have that same calling as Mary. And just like Mary, we don't know what that journey is going to look like. We don't know what the twists and the turns in the road are going to be. But we are called to bring Jesus into the world through the way we treat others, through the way we spend our money, through the way we order our household, through the way we do our jobs, through everything we do every day. We are called to bring Jesus into the world around us. When we take on the calling of Mary, we also take on the challenges of Mary. I thought through this story, and I actually had a pretty developed, um, not analogy, what is it? Um, Pilgrim's Progress. What's the word I'm looking for? What is that? Allegory, that's the word, I knew you'd have it. Uh, Allegory, where if you look at Mary's journey, so Mary... Um, she invites, she allows Jesus to come in. She's called by God and she allows him to live inside her. And then, and then she gives birth to this child and he changes her world, right? But then very quickly she realizes she can't control him. You can't control Jesus. Jesus is going to do things. He's going to go places you don't want him to go. He's going to talk to people that you may not want him to talk to in your life. He's, you can't actually control him any more than Mary could control Jesus. And in fact, there's even a point during his ministry when Jesus thinks, when Mary thinks that Jesus is crazy and she comes to try and stop him from doing ministry the way he's doing it. And we have the same kind of challenge where as, as we are pulled by the gospel, we may we find him doing things like, no, that is crazy. I do not want to do that. Jesus, stop. Now, unlike Mary, we do actually have the ability to stop him from doing it through us. We can, we can say, no, I'm not going to do that, and then God will just do it through someone else. But it's the same challenge where you invite Jesus into your life, and he's going to do things you were not expecting, things that make you uncomfortable. He's going to call you to do things that are difficult. And just like Mary, there will be times when we see that part of us rejected, when we see what God is doing through us, uh, rejected, reviled, persecuted. We'll have to go through that kind of pain of of seeing this, this Savior of the world opposed. But ultimately, if we share in the challenges of Mary's calling, we also share in the victory. Because Jesus, or Mary did not save the world. But she played this essential role in bringing into the world the Savior who would save the world. None of us is going to save the world. But we can endure the opposition, we can endure the frustration, we can endure the obstacles because we know that ultimately Jesus does win. We have chosen the right side and when we play our role in his plan, we are Joining the plan that will triumph in the end. And in order to do that, just like Mary, you don't have to be, you don't have to have the perfect qualifications. Playing a role in God's mission, playing a role in building his kingdom, does not require you to have been born without sin. doesn't require you to remain perpetually a virgin your whole life. It doesn't require any of the things that people will say about Mary. We don't know anything about Mary's spiritual life except the fact that she was faithfully obedient. Now, I don't think that faithful obedience happens in a vacuum. So I think that that tells us that Mary was a very, very faithful, devout girl. I think that there was a whole life of uh, relationship with God that built her up to that point. That doesn't just happen. But ultimately, what God builds on is faithful obedience. The willingness to risk, to trust him, to do things that would have bad consequences if Jesus doesn't keep his promises. Things that would fail if God didn't do what he said it would do. Things that would blow up if God wasn't as good as his word. Because if we never actually build on God's word, if we never actually act on his promises, then we never make ourselves a a, a conduit for his promises. You don't act on the promises, God can't fulfill them through you. He'll fulfill them other ways. But ultimately... The road to Christmas, the way we become part of Christmas and the way this Christ child is changing the world, is by being willing to be faithfully obedient, to take risks wherever the road may lead us, and to follow that example of Mary. Amen? I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And as they're coming up, I'm going to